The beginning of the Satipatthana Sutta contains certain of the following words, namely, here a retreatant dwells contemplating the body in the body, ardent, clearly comprehending, mindful, having removed covetousness and discontent in regard to the world. So the topic of today's Satya Dhamma talk will focus on those words ardent, clearly comprehending and mindful. In particular, we'll focus on mindfulness and what it means or what the meaning is of clearly comprehending. Since those certain qualities of mindfulness and clear comprehension are extremely important for uh, our mindfulness practice. Now, already based on this certain short passage, it becomes obvious that mindfulness is, uh, operates all by itself or not. Obviously not. It goes together with that clear comprehension and certain ardent uh, effort, and in some passages, even concentration is certainly being mentioned. Now, those same qualities, uh, ardency, clear comprehension, and certain mindfulness also play an important role when it comes certainly to a mindful contemplation of certain feelings in feelings when contemplating the mind in the mind and when contemplating dhammas in dhammas. The Venerable Sadhu Panita Bhivams of Fatna Burma has uh, given many Nandama talks on uh, the qualities of mindfulness, this meaning of Fatna mindfulness, and out of um, those, or, or uh, there's many aspects you know, that certainly come into play, and so out of those. Now we'll try to cover the most important ones. A proper understanding of the term mindfulness and its many implications will help us to better do the mindfulness practice. The term mindfulness occurs separately as well as in combination. Namely, the Pali term for mindfulness would be sati, and satna then in a compound, this mindfulness also occurs as satna, satipatthana, which uh, oftentimes gets translated as uh, either the foundations of mindfulness or establishments, establishment of mindfulness. 
Now, let us first take a look at certain of the Pali term Satipatthana itself, and certain this term can be etymologically explained in different ways, and certain depending on how one uh, breaks it up and certain how one interprets its different parts. So we can break up you know, the term satipatthana into sati and upatthana. We can also break up the term satipatthana into sati and patana. And a third way of doing this is there, namely sati, then the particle pa, and then tana. Now. One interpretation of Fatna, the term Satipatthana, is as Sati and Satnapatthana, and Satna, that is an interpretation as Satna found, for instance, in the Majjhima Nikaya. And there, Sati, of course, Satna means mindfulness, and Satna Patana is interpreted as uh, a foundation, so the foundation of mindfulness. Now, when we take Khatna, the first way of interpreting the term Satipatthana, namely as consisting of Sati and Upatana, then this way of understanding the term, according to the Abhidhamma, the Patisambhidhamma Magga, this Satna then means Sati is mindfulness, as before, and Satna Upatana refers to establishment. So the establishment of mindfulness. The Visuddhi Magga, the path of Fatna purification, then gives us a further explanation here. It says the establishment is mindfulness. Mindfulness is called establishment since it approaches the object and remains there. So there are two aspects involved here, this approaching and Satna then remaining at Satna or with the object. Now, Professor Rice Davids, as well as the Venerable Bhikkhu Analayo, contemporary European monk, scholar monk, propose yet a different interpretation of the term Satipatthana, namely Satya and Upatthana, but here interpreting Upatthana in a different way. Now, Venerable Bhikkhu Analayo says, based on the Sanskrit Satna forms of the term, namely Smirti Upastana, 
Upasana or in Pali Upadana then means placing near, being present, attending to something with mindfulness or waiting on looking after. The Pali verb upatahati means being present, attending to, waiting on someone, attending on someone. In other words, caring for, serving or to nurse. So when we take this form of an interpretation, then the compound term satipatthana means sati that stands by, sati that is present, sati that is ready at hand, and in other words, presence of mindfulness, attending with mindfulness. Now, in the Mahasi tradition of mindfulness satna meditation the adopted the generally accepted interpretation of the term satipatthana is as establishment of mindfulness So now there, the term nesati is certainly interpreted and certain that's generally accepted. The term sati derives from the root sam and satna then formed from this or derived from this is uh, the verb sarati, which literally means to remember. But in the context of our mindfulness practice, this term sati does not mean remembering things, but rather it signifies presence of mind, attentiveness to the present, awareness, wakefulness, and certain heedfulness, rather than the faculty of memory of the past. In the Mahasi tradition, the term upatana gets defined as a close, firm, and steadfast establishment or close, firm, steadfast uh, application, setting up. So setting up, establishment, application of mindfulness on what? On uh, the presently arising objects. In the uh, texts, we also come across Satna, the Pali term, Supatitita Sati, which uh, is that firmly established steadfast uh, mindfulness. Now even though the Satipatthana Sutta speaks of four establishments of mindfulness, in all cases, in all four cases, the mindfulness uh, remains the same, in essence, uh, the same, namely that uh, uh, awareness of objects. 
the venerable saint Upanita Bhimus of Fatna Burma, being fully aware of Fatna, the dynamic qualities of Fatna mindfulness that it should ideally possess, has Satna proposed uh, the following translation, namely as observing power rather than using the commonly accepted Satna term mindfulness. As you will see in the course of Satna, this Satna discourse, mindfulness is not something rather lethargic, uh, rather slow, but a mental quality that Satna requires uh, uh, alertness of mind and immediacy, etc. Now, what we shall do is, in certain somewhat certain briefly, that namely, look at the different qualities of mindfulness as explained first of all in you know, the classical you know, definition, the fourfold definition of mindfulness as we can find it in the Visuddhi Magga, the path of purification, and Satna then you know, going on you know, to now, look at some further quality of Fatna mindfulness as certainly given by the commentators based on the term um, Satipatthana and in particular the particle Pa that gets interpreted in many different uh, ways. Now, what is the characteristic of mindfulness? We have a number of, uh, of experienced yogis here. So, what is its characteristic? Do you remember? No. It's combination. Culmination. It's a combination. A combination of different things. Well, uh, pardon me? Uh, penetrate. What about sinking into? Ah, there you go. So, the characteristic of uh, mindfulness in the Pali scripture language is given as apilapana lakana, and satna that, uh, in short, means non superficiality. Now, to explain uh, this further, Mindfulness should not be like a cork or a dried and hollow pumpkin thrown onto the surface of a river, and that pumpkin will do what? It will float on top of, uh, on the surface of the river. So, mindfulness should not be like that, but rather you know, should be like a stone or a rock thrown into that same river. And obviously, that rock will do what? It will sink to the bottom of the river. And so, our mindfulness, the idea or our ideal mindfulness, 
will not skim over the surface of objects, but rather sink into whatever predominant object comes along, be this a physical object or a mental object, and thus will carefully observe it and get to know its nature. So in the case of you know, the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, in the presence of Fertner mindfulness, the mind will sink into the object and thus we get to know its different qualities such as, let's say, the expansion of the abdomen such as sensations like tension, stiffness, tightness, hardness and so on and so forth. Excuse me. <coughs> Now, the Surimaga goes on to give the function of Fatnat mindfulness, in Pali the function is referred to as Rasa, and here as Asamosa Rasa, which means the absence of confusion or non-forgetfulness. Now, Positively expressed, this means that the noting and observing mind should neither lose sight of, nor miss, nor forget, nor allow the object of observation to disappear. So in other words, we try to keep the object in view. Now, just like during a soccer match, the soccer players will have to keep their eyes on the football. So too, as retreatants, we want to keep uh, the predominant object in view and we don't want to lose sight of it. Now. Mental factors get explained by way of characteristic function, and the third aspect is that of manifestation, Pachubhatana in the Pani scriptural language. And here in the, in the case of mindfulness, the, the Visuddhimagga speaks of two manifestations. The first one is certainly given in the Pali scripture language as we see Abhimukham Bhava Pachubhatana, which literally translated means the state of being face to face with the object of observation. So in other words, a state of confrontation. A confrontation of what? Confrontation of the observing mind and certainly the object of observation. So the observing mind should be uh, should be confronting the predominant object that comes up, and it's only then that one will be able to then carefully observe that object and certainly to get to know it. To, to get to know its qualities. 
same thing when we come, when we meet a new, new person, if we want to get to know that certain person, then we have to be face to face with that person, um, carefully looking into his or her face, studying the different features and paying closest attention, and thus we get to know someone. However, if we look at a person from a distance or maybe from the side or so, then obviously we're not going to uh, 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 know that or get to know that person very well. Now, the second manifestation of Fatna mindfulness is certainly given in the Visuddhimagga as um, Araka Pachabhatana in Pali, which translates as either protection or guardianship. Now, protection in which sense? Protection against what? Who knows? Yes? From causing harm. Uh, from causing harm. Who is causing harm? Uh, causing harm to ourselves or others. Ah. Uh, so protection against harm. More specifically? Ah. So that's correct. So protection against the attack by mental defilements and certain of which uh, when they do occur then cause to uh, cause harm uh, to ourselves. So that is certainly correct. Now this man is the second manifestation of Fatna mindfulness has some really important practical implications for us as retreatants. Namely, when our mindfulness is present from moment to moment to moment to moment, and this over a longer period of time, the mind will be protected against the attack by mental defilements. And so mental defilements cannot uh, arise in the stream of consciousness. They do not have an opportunity. Now, to state the opposite case, when our mindfulness is somewhat intermittent, then what happens? It is then that in those gaps, in those lapses of mindfulness, that unwholesome mental states, mental defilements, will arise in the stream of consciousness and cause us as well as others, in, in consequence others, um, harm. Now, in the course of a retreat, in the course of our human existence, we are likely to come across mental defilements. Sometimes many of those can come up. Sometimes just one mental defilement comes up, but it might be very, very strong, almost overpowering. 
Among those certain mental defilements, we have fitness states like greed, hatred, delusion. Can you think of any other mental defilements apart from those? Restlessness. Restlessness, yes, that's correct. Torpor. Torpor, correct. Anything else? Doubt. What's that? Doubt. Doubt, yes, correct. What about fear? What about worries? What about certain conceit? Etc., etc. So there are a number of unwholesome mental states, akusala nejitisika, that certainly lie dormant in the mind and they're just waiting for an opportunity to then become activated and become active. So, in the course of Fatna, you retreat here. If on occasion your mind is attacked by this or that mental defilement, then please do try to remember this second manifestation of mindfulness, namely as protection or guardianship. And so then try to revert to uh, uh, almost per or to a perfect continuity of mindfulness over a period of five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen, twenty, thirty minutes, and uh, rest assured that change will occur. If you're fortunate, the hindrance uh, or, or mental defilement will at least weaken, if not uh, um, subside. Now, the classical proximate cause or nearest cause for the arising of mindfulness again comes in two aspects. The first one is given as Tira Sanya Padatana, and certainly here Sanya is a Pali term that stands for uh, perception, and Satna then Tira Padatana is your proximate cause, and Tira means strong, so a strong perception. A strong perception of what? Of objects. If the perception, our mental perception of an object is very strong, then it is easy for the mind and you know, for mindfulness you know, to arise and to work with that object. But if the perception of an object, even let's say a very predominant object, is somewhat uh, weak, somewhat suddenly hazy, foggy, not clear, then it follows, uh, or it goes without saying, you know, that uh, and it will be difficult for mindfulness to pick up this object and to properly work with this object. Now, <coughs> the Visuddhimagga speaks of a second proximate cause for the arising of mindfulness, and this is given as Gayati Satipatthana Padatana. And what's 
is certainly meant here is a continuity of mindfulness you know, from moment to moment. When mindfulness is really continuous over a longer period of time, so there will be many moments of mindfulness connected one to the other, then the resulting mindfulness is going to be a rather strong mindfulness. In the opposite case, when the mindfulness isn't all that continuous, then the resulting mindfulness is going to be weak. The Venerable Sadhupanita Bhimans of Vatna Burma in this regard like Satna to um, come or to give the following illustration, namely it is like someone who who learns lessons, learns well um, or properly learns Satna lessons in uh, primary school those lessons learned will then serve as a support for lessons to be learned in secondary school and lessons learned in the first primary school and then secondary school will be conducive or supportive to the learning of lessons in high school or even the university and further university education. So certain momentum develops in you know, the course of pursuing an education. So these are your four classical aspects of footnote. Know, de- or this is your classical definition of mindfulness with its certain four aspects, namely the characteristic of mindfulness, the function of mindfulness, then the two manifestations of it, and you know, the two approximate causes. Now, mindfulness ideally should possess many more qualities. Can you think of other qualities that mindfulness should possess? Curiosity. Curiosity, that helps. Comprehension. Comprehension, clear comprehension, then uh, uh, will be explained, yes. Mindfulness itself. Encompassing. To be, pardon me? In, encompassing. Encompassing, yes, that's correct, indeed. Anything else? Our mindfulness should be really slow. Yes, is that it? An object arises and five, min- five minutes later we attend to it. <laughs> <laughs> Finally we make up our mind, oh, no. well, <laughs> enough of the dreaming, let me do my work again. So mindfulness needs to be, as mentioned earlier on, it needs to be dynamic and one of those aspects is it needs to be immediate. And so. No longer, or no later than the arising of an object, should our mindfulness be there. Nothing should come between our you know, the arising of an object and certainly the observation of it. 
So as soon as an object certainly comes up, right away, without any delay, should our mindfulness go towards that object. Now, in this connection, the three phases of foot or three aspects of time play an important role. So when we speak of time, we usually speak of fatna, the past, the present, and the future. Now, mindfulness, satna meditation, or satipatthana meditation, is a meditation that concerns itself with what? Objects of the past? Or objects, Deborah, would you say so? Of the present, sure enough. And mindfulness does not concern itself, at least ideally not, with objects of the future. The problem with objects of the future is they have not yet actually arisen. All that we have of them is just an imagination, some idea what certain things will be like in the future, but that's not the same thing as reality. And the problem with objects of the past is that they're gone already. All that we have of them is just a memory, and the memory is not the same thing as the actual experience. So what remains are only the objects of the present moment. Now... With some bodily objects, well, fair enough, but they occur slowly. But there are also bodily formations or objects of observation that arise quite suddenly quickly. If you think of a sudden jerk or a jolt or spasm, these certain things occur quickly. So, in this case, you know, this immediacy of mindfulness is certainly needed. Now, when it comes to mental objects, some of them may occur really quickly. And because the mind is operating so quickly, because the mind can quickly you know, change from one mental state to another in less than a second, in less than uh, the, uh, the fraction of a, uh, of a second, because of that, our mindfulness has to be uh, with the present moment, has to be immediate. Otherwise, no, we'll miss, miss the event. Now, other qualities of mindfulness are that uh, it should be concurrent with you know, the object of observation. This plays an important role when it comes to objects like the rising phonic movement of the abdomen. And you know, so there's a certain uh, movement involved here. Concurrence is also important in the walking meditation. So you have the lifting process, you have the forward movement, you have the lowering and placing, and your mind wants to be, your, your mindfulness wants to be, um, well, in sync with the respective uh, movement and not lack uh, behind. 
or to decide yet another practical case. At certain times, a number of different physical as well as certain mental objects occur in a quick succession, one after another. And in a case like this, your mindfulness, your observing mind has to be in sync with such a series of objects or a sequence of objects. Now, nowadays, mindfulness has become uh, something of an uh, uh, accepted word in the society. Uh, it comes up uh, um, time and again, even scientific research is done on uh, mindfulness. And um, then there's, uh, no, no, there are courses that uh, teach uh, mindfulness to um, patients in hospitals and so on and so forth. Now, when one hears this or observes this kind of mindfulness, well, you know, then one might be left with the impression that some ordinary mindfulness, casual mindfulness, will be good enough. However, is that really the case when we do an intensive Satipatthana retreat? It's not the case. And so, the texts are very clear about this. And certain two technical terms are there. Visita as well as Busata. Visita refers, that's a Pali term, you know, that refers to you know, the extraordinary or outstanding nature that mindfulness you know, ideally should possess. And busada refers to the quality that the mindfulness should be intensive, excessive, and persistent. So ordinary, casual, easy-going you know, mindfulness will simply not be sufficient. So what we need is a top quality type of mindfulness. Now, because mindfulness certainly meditation, or sorry, because objects in the body and certainly in the mind and certain times may arise so quickly and changes may arise so quickly and even in our interactions with the world around us things at times may happen rather quickly because of this our mindfulness should as the commentary states possess this additional quality of rushing of rushing towards certainly the object of observation so here, the Pali particle pa 
of Satipatthana, yeah, then gets interpreted as meaning Pakandana, and Pakandana, the Pani term Pakandana, refers to this rushing and, uh, and then leaping you know, towards an object of observation, plunging into you know, the object. So as soon as an object of observation has um, arisen, then right away our attention should rush there, leap towards that object with much force, without hesitation, without reflecting, without getting lost in thinking, in um, analyzing, in philosophizing, etc., with, without fantasizing, etc., and so our mind should be right there with the object. So it is in this context that certain mindfulness needs to have this dynamic uh, quality. If our mindfulness is certainly somewhat sluggish, lagging behind, then we will miss certain of the predominant object. Or what might happen is that because of an absence of mindfulness, a lagging behind of mindfulness, then some impulsive reaction is there, and. Um, this could, uh, in the case of the arising of some unwholesome mental state, could have some fatal uh, or, or devastating consequences. Now, other qualities you know, that mindfulness should possess are it should firmly grasp and object and uh, grasp or see certain of the object and, and only then would it be easy to you know, observe the object and to uh, know its certain nature. Now when we look at certain of this whole range of physical and mental objects that certainly come up for you know, observation, there are hundreds of now those, then there are certain objects that tend to be rather slippery. Among those we have thinking, it's easy to miss certain of the thinking, uh, mental states like uh, confusion or uh, confusion, ignorance, delusion, those certain or now, that's basically one you know, mental state. Now, that one is also very difficult you know, to grasp. It's rather you know, slippery. Or, as you might have noticed by now, mm, the mental factor of sloth and torpor. Without realizing it, sloth and torpor creeps in. And then we have a problem.
So it's important to firmly seek, grasp and seize an object and that then will allow us to carefully observe it. The continuity of mindfulness has been mentioned already during the very beginning talk on Sunday evening as well as during the comprehensive instructions the next morning. At this certain point Allow me to emphasize the importance of this continuity of mindfulness. At first, as a retreatant, one might certainly think, well, being mindful once a minute is good enough. Um, One might certainly think being mindful once a minute, um, that's good enough in terms of continuity of mindfulness. But over time, one realizes that certainly, obviously, there are plenty of other moments in between. And so then, once one makes an effort towards more continuous mindfulness, and certainly thus, one is mindful, let's say, um, five times in a, a minute. So that's good, but still not sufficient. And over time, one realizes even there, there's still gaps in between. And Satna then uh, one that makes an effort, and gradually, one's mindfulness Satna then becomes more and more continuous. So, to establish true continuity of Satna mindfulness actually takes a long time. And it takes a number, plenty of days of uh, intensive practice to reach that level. Even retreatants who have practiced for several months in a row still report that they've missed to be mindful on this or that occasion. The Venerable Upanita has certainly given a nice illustration in the case of discontinuous certain mindfulness, namely that of a chameleon. Chameleons or house lizards, as you may have observed, have a very peculiar way of moving about. Namely, what they do is all of a sudden, one doesn't quite know why, they dash forward and suddenly come to an abrupt end. And then the head goes here and there, looking around. And then after a while, all of a sudden, the house lizard or chameleon moves again, makes another dash forward. And suddenly, so this is how these creatures move about. 
Now, chameleons survive living that way or moving that way, but if retreatants, if their mindfulness is so, uh, like uh, that of a chameleon or uh, that of a house lizard, namely the movement of it, then they, uh, the yogis might not survive. So please <laughs> do take it seriously. <coughs> now, from a practical point of view, retreatants have a f almost universal tendency to want to influence their experiences. It starts with the rise and fall. Let's say rise and fall is somewhat faint, and immediately the yogi goes and suddenly thinks, "Well, you know, this is unacceptable. I have to do something about it." And then comes the heavy breathing, <laughs> or a pain is suddenly and comes up in the body, and. Mm, at first it's a, you know, somewhat mild, but then it can, gradually gets uh, a bit stronger, and the mind goes, well, I haven't come on to you know, you know, this retreat to you know, deal with certain pains and, uh, and, and certain experience, certain much certain suffering, so you know, this is enough, let me change my posture, and in this way I'll get rid of the pain. In the text, so in the Diga Nikaya, Majima Nikaya, etc., etc., is there any single passage that supports this particular uh, 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 act or reactivity towards objects? Have you come across any passage? If so, please uh, give me the, the reference. I'll be so pleased. Yes, no? So there's no single point no single passage where the, the Buddha suggests that we should interfere with our experiences, that we should manipulate or control our experiences. Now, it's easy to say, please do not control your experiences, try not to interfere with what's certainly going on, but certainly uh, it's much more difficult not to do. And the reason for this lies primarily in our sense of self and in our sense of wanting to be in control. All our, for a lifetime, um, that we've no, wanted to be in control of things. When driving, we want to be in control. We want, no, we don't want to be told by the co-pilot how to drive, and so, and so we want to decide for ourselves certain, uh, how you know, things you know, should uh, happen, and we do the same thing in our meditation practice. And so please do pay attention to this particular aspect in your own meditation. And whenever you notice that the mind is trying to interfere, to control, to manipulate, then recognize this, label it accordingly as interfering, manipulating, and so on. And then know what is certainly happening, know the quality of what's certainly going on, and then or know the nature, and certainly then hopefully that manipulating will stop for a while. And sooner or later it will be there again.
So ideally, our mindfulness should certainly be, um, well, should be sinking into you know, the object. We're talking of a mindfulness that is uh, uh, firmly, firmly, closely and steadfastly established on you know, the object of observation and uh, we are you know, further you know, talking about keeping the object in view, being face to face with the object. Mindfulness has this quality of protecting the mind against the, you know, the attack of, by uh, unwholesome mental states then immediacy should be there, concurrence with the object should be there, the mind, uh, uh, extraordinary mindfulness is needed, intense mindfulness is uh, needed, the mind should rush and plunge into, rush towards the object, plunge into you know, the object. Uh, we want to firmly grasp an object of uh, observation and completely cover an object of observation. And as Sadhna mentioned, the continuity of mindfulness is uh, uh, very important. Now, the texts provide us with a number of illustrations or similes in the context of mindfulness, also for uh, other uh, mental factors. And those illustrations or images are actually quite helpful because certainly they uh, nicely bring across a certain uh, further aspects. Now, allow me to mention just a few of those images and certain qualities that they are trying to bring across. So for one thing, we have that certain image of a cow herd during the hot certain season at the time of Fatna the Buddha sitting under a tree, sitting in the shade of a tree and Satna then simply with a calm and detached mind observing the cows that or cattle that are grazing and without being overly concerned. So just uh, just imagine yourself sitting uh, there and just being aware of uh, the presence of uh, the cattle. So this image is bringing across a calm and detached observation of objects. So whatever object comes up in our meditation practice, we want to observe it with a calm mind and also a detached mind. 
So neither getting excited about uh, you know, some outstanding uh, objects or experiences, nor uh, getting all miserable about some uh, difficult uh, experience. The aspect of detachment is worth highlighting a bit more. We tend to attach ourselves to objects. We tend to be or to get involved with objects, and that is not necessarily a useful thing to do. So therefore. Uh, this uh, emphasis on a calm and uh, detached uh, type of observation. <coughs> Mindfulness has been compared to a plowshare, the goat and the plowshare of a farmer. And two such references are there. The first one is from the Samyutta Nikaya, Volume 1, Section 172. The context is the Kasi Bharadwaja Sutta, so a discourse in which the a Brahmin and farmer, Nagasi Bharadwaja, and certainly at the time, uh, or when it's time to plow uh, the fields, then has uh, 500 plows uh, being readied, and certainly once that, uh, that's, uh, that was done, then the plowing uh, would certainly start in order to tilt the soil and thus prepare the ground for the sowing of the seeds. And here comes the enlightened one on the arms round and he stands near where food is being distributed to all the farm laborers. And Kasi Bharadwaja sees the enlightened one standing there with his uh, uh, arms bow and then put in it in a simple way, asks him, well, I am, uh, or we, we are tilling the fields with plowshares and uh, or with plows and uh, uh, using you know, buffaloes and goats and what not and having done so we sow you know, the seeds and then we reap the fruits then we eat and you what are you doing uh, what are you? Um, what are you? What is your work? And so, you know, with that, of course, you know, the Buddha uh, is uh, in a is cornered, 
and so however he comes up with an extremely wise response and he says and I'm quoting from some Nikaya, faith is the seed austerity the rain wisdom my yoke and plow shame is the pole mind the yoke tie mindfulness my plowshare and gold and that is one example and certainly the other one The other one is from the Sutta Nipata. Ah, here. Yeah. Uh, so, from the Sutta Nipata, and uh, there it uh, is said, Sutta Nipata, verse 77 Confidence is the seed, self control the rain, wisdom my yoke and plow, modesty is my pole, mind is the rope mindfulness my plowshare and go gold and so in the case of Gassi Bharadwaja when he heard the Buddha speak you know, that uh, first verse he was so impressed that immediately he ordered his Sadhana workers to provide uh, food to uh, the Buddha and he acknowledged that the Buddha's form of tilling the land and you know, sowing you know, the seeds and reaping was a, a totally a very different uh, one and the results the fruits of uh, his uh, work was um, uh, that of uh, well, you know, the deathless uh, state So we can say that mindfulness then performs a preparatory role for the arising of wisdom or we can put it differently by saying that mindfulness fulfills an important preparatory role for the arising of wisdom. And so when mindfulness is there, there's an opportunity to carefully observe, to be aware of what's certainly going on, to be present to you know, a certain experience, and certainly that, in combination with concentration, will then allow for you know, wisdom you know, to arise. Now, other roles have been or can be attributed to mindfulness and one of those roles is that mindfulness is performing a monitoring and steering quality or is performing a monitoring and steering role would you know in which context in which context is mindfulness monitoring 
and steering. Very simple. Seal. In our actions. By me? In our, in our actions. In our actions, you said sealer. Uh, well, no, yes, certainly that's correct. And certainly still more. Uh, by me? Uh, that's correct. Effort and what else? Only effort. By me? Yes. So, uh, effort, concentration, energy, faith, wisdom. So, think of the five controlling faculties. So, mindfulness. The five controlling faculties have to be what? They have to be well balanced. There's two pairs there. The first pair, pair consists of effort and concentration, and the other pair of footnote faith and wisdom. Both pairs need to be well balanced, and it is mindfulness that performs that in a particular role or function, right? And so, now then a similar you know, role mindfulness performs with regard to the seven. It starts with E or A. And enlightenment factors or awakening factors. There you go. At times, mindfulness also performs certain, uh, a balancing role, balancing as well as restraining the role. And uh, one uh, case, one beautiful uh, illustration for this income is then can be found in a discourse given in the Samyutta Nikaya. It's entitled "The Most Beautiful Girl of the Land," and. So at one point, the Blessed One was staying in the land of the uh, anyway, not of the Gurus. I forgot. Um, so he was staying in the town of the ah. In the town of Sedaka and in the land of the Kumbus, if I'm not mistaken. And so then he called Satna the uh, his group of Fatna disciples and Satna then requested them to pay attention to what he was going to say. And he then made up and an, a story saying, suppose that one day there um, is an announcement, the most beautiful girl in the land will be dancing and singing. So upon this announcement, you know, then a, a crowd of people gathers in uh, that certain city of our town of Futna Sedaka. And uh, then um, when the most uh, 
beautiful girl in the country is actually or exquisitely dancing and exquisitely singing, then an even greater crowd assembles. And assume that there, and then there is a man who wants to live and certainly does not want to die, who searches happiness and is averse to pain and certain suffering. So he walks between, or he comes, he comes along. And another man walks up to him and certainly says, take this pot um, of oil filled to the brim, place it on your head and walk between the most beautiful girl of the country singing and dancing and you know, so between her and you know, the crowd and there is there will be a, a man closely following you with a sword drawn ever ready to chop off your head as soon as you spill the slightest amount of oil and then the Buddha goes on to say that this is just an illustration, a story that he has uh, that made up at that certain point, namely to illustrate um, the importance of mindfulness. So the pod of our mindfulness, or uh, paying attention to the pot of oil full into the brim is tantamount to mindfulness of the body. So keeping one's mindfulness on the body. And only thus will the person who's, who has to carry that pot of oil be able to walk between the dancing girl and the crowd without spilling any oil. And so in the same sense, when we do our mindfulness practice, we want to be totally attentive to our own body and the different sensations that come up and not certainly get distracted. And a certain degree of in, in carrying a pot of oil, a high degree of centeredness, of balance is needed, and the same thing is also needed in our meditation practice. As mentioned already earlier on, the importance of not interfering with our experiences. So mindfulness that ideally does not interfere with certain formations. The Itiwutaka in its certain section of 33 
states that the first, the first stage consists of the actual observation of an object and this and only when an object gets out of hand, out of control, beyond, uh, yeah, out of control, only then uh, does one take uh, the second uh, stage, namely of taking action. So, a practical illustration for uh, this, if on occasion a difficult memory comes up, then we do not certainly want to immediately get rid of it, suppress it, but rather we want to be mindful of it. So label it, observe it, know its nature. But if that memory, if it's an unpleasant, strongly unpleasant memory, if it's a develops a certain or a strong momentum and it gets too much, too overwhelming, in that case we want to, uh, well, step on the brake. Now, maybe this much in terms of the different qualities of mindfulness and allow me to go on and just in the shortest possible way and give you just a few points with regard to clear comprehension. Since clear comprehension is certainly mentioned in the Satipatthana the Sutta as a quality that goes along with mindfulness. So clear comprehension is mentioned in the Satipatthana Sutta itself, in uh, the uh, beginning portion, but it's also uh, mentioned under the section of uh, mindfulness and uh, general activities, uh, where, uh, for instance, um, one is accomplished in mindfulness and clear comprehension, in going forth and back, in looking ahead behind, in bending and stretching, and so on and so forth. Then clear comprehension also occurs in a number of other uh, passages. A short definition of clear comprehension, Sampajanya in the Pali scriptural language, is acting in a clearly conscious way, sampajana kari hoti, in the Pali scriptural language. Venerable Nyanaponika Tera, a European uh, monastic and scholar, has uh, remarked about uh, clear comprehension that this is right knowledge or wisdom based on right attentiveness. Now, from an etymological point of view, the term Sampajana is a present participle of the verb sampajanati, which uh, then uh, 
consists of two parts, sam and bhajanati. Bhajanati means to know, he, she, it knows, and satnasam then is a prefix that intensifies the meaning of the corresponding term. And when we combine those two, sam and bhajanati, then it becomes sampajanati, and that then is an intensified form of knowing, in other words, clearly knowing or clearly comprehending. Now, other etymological interpretations are there, but we're, at this point we're not going to go into those. Now, Clear comprehension is unfortunately not defined in the Satipatthana Sutta itself, nor in other texts. Just examples for it are given, and hence a need for better understanding did arise or has arisen. The commentator to you know, the Satipatthana Sutta speaks of four forms of clear comprehension, namely clear comprehension with regard you know, to the purpose or you know, benefit of an action. So that is given as Sataka Sambhajanya in the Pali scripture language. Then we have clear comprehension with regard to the suitability of an planned action that is uh, your sapaya sampajanya then you know, we have clear comprehension with regard uh, to the domain gochara sampajanya and satna then finally we have asamoha sampajanya which translates as uh, a clear comprehension of non delusion now a brief explanation here with regard to the first one, before we do something on retreat, and this applies also outside of Vatna retreat, we might want to you know, check the purpose of what we intend to do as well as certain, uh, the purpose or the benefit of what we intend to do. So is something you know, going to be beneficial or not? The second form of clear comprehension, namely that of suitability, is to carefully check whether an action planned, an activity planned, whether that is suitable or not. Now, there are cases of things that are beneficial and certainly have a good purpose. However, they're not necessarily suitable and or in a certain context. So to give you one extreme example here, namely to give a discourse, a Dhamma talk, usually is certainly beneficial, but to give a, a Dhamma talk, let's say, at certain some, um, let's say, in a pub around midnight, that would be somewhat inappropriate or very inappropriate. Uh, 
Or another example would be learning a foreign language is great, it will train the mind, it will allow for communication, it will help to better understand another you know, people or the people of another country. But uh, you know, to learn a foreign language on retreat might not be all that suitable. So here you know, we need to see what is beneficial, what is suitable. If an action plan is both beneficial as well as suitable, then we go ahead with it, but otherwise not. Now, the third clear form of clear comprehension, according to the commentator, is that of Fatna, uh, the domain or territory. Namely, we, uh, we need to, as retreatants, we need to stay within our proper territory. Now, the proper territory of a retreatant is um, to give you the uh, to mention that directly is to stay within the realm of the four establishments of mindfulness. So as long as we are mindful of whatever is certain happening, that's fine. But if let's say we are part of a retreat but you know, we go around and uh, looking around uh, 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 spend uh, spending time reading uh, books talking to uh, people hitching down the road and uh, so on then uh, obviously we're not in our uh, proper territory anymore the fourth form of clear comprehension, namely of uh, Asamoha Sambhajanya, mm, the clear comprehension of non-delusion, Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi, he explains this as a discernment of things in their true nature, free from delusion. Now, the Buddha speaks of clear comprehension, of talking. So, in the course of a retreat, on occasion, we will engage in communication. For instance, during the interviews, for instance, when uh, we need some help, we need to know where's this, where's that, or we need certain things, then we need to talk. Or there may be cases when we simply just want to talk to another fellow retreatant. And here is where the Sampajanya comes in, clear comprehension of talking or with regard to talking. So during the interviews we will just say what is necessary just the essence of the things when you when we communicate with the retreat manager then we keep it also just to the to the very essence now if however let's say a discussion occurred in conversation 
uh, unfolds in this I'm not encouraging, of course, you know, then rather rather than talking on you know, some worldly you know, subjects, let's say, like you know, the state of the economy or uh, the ongoing wars or uh, you know, things like you know, this, then uh, rather than engaging in that, uh, those kind of topics, it would be better to keep one's uh, uh, sorry <coughs> communicate or conversation on uh, on a dhamma topic, you know, such as you know, the development of mindfulness and uh, the development of concentration, wisdom, and so on and so forth. The Buddha also speaks of clear comprehension, looking, namely, when we keep our senses unrestrained, we, we look here and there, we might end up looking at or seeing something that is either you know, to our disliking or something that is attractive to our you know, liking, and suddenly then we get carried away. Or the Buddha also speaks of clear comprehension in regard to, to moderation in eating. So not to take neither too much food nor too little. So one meaning of clear comprehension, as Venerable Bhikkhu Ananayo has certainly pointed out, is it serves as a preceding step prior to the actual, or when one is taking the posture, prior to the actual sitting meditation. So, for instance, one checks whether it is proper or not to sit in a particular place or whether the timing is appropriate or not. So that's one aspect. Then in the context of a retreat, there may time and again that we have to decide whether an activity planned is beneficial or not, suitable or not proper or not. And to give you ex some uh, negative examples that have actually occurred on uh, retreats. To go on extensive uh, hikes certain during a retreat is not certainly recommended. It will surely be good certainly for one's health and one might certainly learn a few things, but not on retreat. Or to exercise in general, to exercise the body in general is certainly is okay, it's beneficial, but to do that, for instance, here in you know, the meditation hall, in the presence of other retreatants, obviously is out of place. Or to force oneself out of with willpower to do a really, really long sit and thus ruin one's knees obviously is not a wise thing to do. Or 
as has certainly happened, not necessarily happening here, but in Lumbini, where we have an ongoing retreat over many months, and so new retreatants come in, and then sometimes a newcomer will simply take the cushion of a retreatant who has been meditating there already for a long period of time, and that obviously, then or at least in some cases, creates certain some friction, or as certain happened during. Uh, a recent retreat in uh, Europe. Um, apparently, one uh, retreated during the middle of the night in the dormitory. Uh, the body uh, was uh, felt so hot, burning hot, and it was cold outside. The yogi decided to take off one layer of clothing after another, and then ended up lying there totally naked on the bed. And <laughs> and uh, fortunately, and then the yogi during during the interview related all of this, and even related that Satna she had heard the steps Satna during during the night, and it turned out that it was, or most likely it was she herself who was walking in the room and not being mindful of what was happening, and Satna her you know, the. A fellow retreater with whom she was sharing a room saw this and went like this. You don't do like this. You put your clothes back on, and eventually she did that. But she ended up catching a bad, bad flu. So, just as a really, how do you say, a real example of a case where clear and clear comprehension, sampajanya is uh, needed. Sometimes retreatants forget this. Okay, allow me to conclude today's Dhammaton, first of all by apologizing for going way beyond uh, our uh, time, and secondly by wishing may uh, your uh, mindfulness possess all the many uh, qualities uh, explained during uh, today's Satna Dhammaton, and Satna then being equipped uh, with Satna such Perfect uh, mindfulness. May you master all uh, condition or uh, situations that come up in your uh, meditation practice, and then may your mindfulness co- uh, contribute to the arising of concentration and then to the arising of intuitive wisdom. And may that wisdom turn into liberating wisdom. May you see the peace of nibbana during this very retreat. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.